I thank you for it. Malachi, uh, in chapter, I'm going to read two verses. We're going to really take a whole survey of the book of Malachi this morning, but I really want to focus on two verses. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you read the Word of God, uh, He just arrests your attention uh, as you're reading the Word of God. And there are, there are two specific verses that He arrested my attention with uh, in this book, and really from there, uh, kind of springboarded me into studying what was actually going on in the book of Malachi. Uh, really what's going on, there's, there's kind of a progression in the book of Malachi. Uh, there's a, uh, a point uh, that the prophet Malachi is calling out the sins of the people of Israel. I, I mean, just very frankly, he's calling out their sins. Uh, he's also calling them to restoration and saying, return unto the Lord. And, uh, and then he's giving also a future cast of what's going to happen. He talks about John the Baptist in here. He talks about the day of the Lord uh, in, the, in the end of time. And, and so, so he gives us really the past, the present, and the future throughout the book of Malachi. It's really interesting as you study through, and I hope to kind of show you some of those things. But, but two verses that, uh, man, just as I was reading it, just dead in my face, the Lord said, uh, this could be you, be careful, but this is also... It just seems to be the culture of our day. And I want to share those with you. Look at uh, Malachi chapter number 2, verse number 17, okay? Malachi uh, chapter number 2, verse number 17 says this. It says, "...ye have wearied the Lord with your words." You have wearied the Lord with your words. And I, I, I got to thinking about that because I don't often read in the Bible about God being wearied. Uh, normally, when we think about God, we don't think about the word weary in association with God. We think about power. Uh, we think about his omnipotence, his omniscience. We think about uh, being creator. In fact, he references himself being the creator in this book. But we don't often think about weariness when it comes to God. And so when I began to read that, I thought, wow, Malachi is proclaiming that there is something that wearies our God. There is something, and I began to read it. I'm going to point out some things because he says there, you have wearied the Lord with your words. It's not referencing words of prayer. God does not get weary by our words of prayer. In fact, God invites our words of prayer. But there are some specific things that are being said in this passage that the, that the prophet Malachi proclaimed weary God. I'd like to just point some out, and we'll, we'll point out what these are later. But, but look in chapter 1, verse number 2. He says, uh, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Look at these next three words. Yet ye say. Uh, look at verse number 5 of chapter number 1. And your eyes shall see. Watch this. And ye shall say. Look at verse number 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where's mine honor? And if I be a master, where's my fear? Skip down to the end of the verse. It says, and ye say. Look at verse number seven. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say. Verse number 12. Uh, but ye have profaned in, in that ye say. Look at verse number 13. Uh, uh, toward uh, Right there at the beginning. Ye said also. Go to chapter two, verse number 14. Yet Ye say, look at verse number 17, twice he references in verse number 17. Uh, ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say. Uh, a little bit after that it says, when ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good. Uh, look at uh, chapter number 3, verse number 7. Uh, he says there, even from the days of your fathers are gone away from mine ordinances. Uh, return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts, but 
ye said. Uh, Look at verse number 13. Your words have been stout or harsh against me, saith the Lord, yet ye say. Look at verse number 14. Ye have said. I emphasize all of that to you because the Bible says that the words of the people wearied God and the prophet specifically tells us the words that were wearying God. And I just want to submit to you first of all this, that words matter to God. You know, if if words did not matter to God, then he would not have inspired every single word in the Bible that you hold there in your laps right now. Uh, This book, uh, and I I actually, I preach, I've preached a message entitled Words Matter, uh, specifically more of our speech one to the other, but God considers the words that we say. God considers the statements that we say. God considers our our communication with each other and God considers our communication with him. And it fascinated me that the that Mike uh, Malachi would say, "Your words have wearied God." Uh, parents, you're probably familiar with this weariness. Uh, I am. I certainly know that. Um, I think um, there's kind of two wearinesses as parents. There's the one where uh, you just you hear your name all the time, right? So it's uh, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. What? <laughs> and, uh, and then it continues again. The next child and the next child and the next child. And it's just daddy, 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 this, daddy, that. I don't know. Go talk to mama. I don't know. Go, go, go bug mama. Uh, but you hear it all the time, your name over and over and over and over. That's not quite the weariness, though that's wearisome. That's not quite the weariness from a father to a child that God's talking about here. It's more like this. Let me give you a, a personal example. My, um, when I was younger, one of the things that I think brought the most conviction to me as a child, I was saved at the age of 10, uh, was my attitude. Um, I had a just horrible uh, attitude. I mean, it wasn't as bad as Megan's, but I had a horrible uh, attitude. And um, uh, one of the things I would often, my, my mom would discipline me for my attitude, and, and I, would, I would often say, sorry, mom, you know, and it really wasn't sincere. Let's just be honest. It was, I got in trouble and, uh, and, and mom disciplined me and I felt like I was obligated to say sorry. And so I said, sorry. And there was one time I'll never forget it. My mom looked at me and she said, she said, Brian, you've been in trouble almost every day for your attitude this week. And, and she said, and you keep telling me sorry every time I discipline you. And she said, you know, one of these days you'll understand that true, truly being sorry means you will change your ways. And oh, I just, it just sunk my heart. It just sunk my heart when my mom said that, Brian, if you're truly sorry, or we would in, in the biblical term say repentance, if you were truly repentant, Brian, you would turn from that that you're doing. And uh, my mom was weary because of my attitude. And that's the weariness that's being described here. A weariness that says, you are my chosen people. I have chosen you, and yet you will say these particular things against me. I have chosen to uh, you as my people, uh, yet you would, you would sin against me. You would profane my name. All of these things you would continuously do, even to the point where you would doubt my love for you. Let me show you the other verse that the Lord uh, used. Uh, verse chapter number 3, verse number 14. Uh, chapter number 3, verse number 14. Now, he's uh, specifically speaking to the people here, um, uh, uh, the people of Israel, and he says this uh, as one of the statements of things that they have said. Malachi calls it out and says this, Ye have said, 
it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And I want to spend really, I think, the rest of our time in verse number 14. And I want to explain to you the attitude that we find in verse 14, that if we're not careful, will plague us personally and will plague our homes as well. And then I want to look at the actions of the words that were said all the way back to chapter number one that really led to the attitude that we see there. And then finally, the answer for all of that that God provides to us in Malachi. Let us pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the wonderful privilege and opportunity it is to preach the word of God. Lord, I don't take lightly the fact that I am standing as a representative of you and expounding upon the word of God today. Lord, I know that my words and my opinions and and the things that I think really are not without the word of God. And Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would use the word of God in the hearts of your Christians here today. Lord, I thank you for each of them. Uh, Lord, I thank you for each person that is here today, each guest that is with us today. Lord, I thank you. And Lord, I pray that if anybody is not saved, Lord, I pray that if if they don't know 100% for sure they're on their way to heaven, Lord, that they'd not leave here today without that knowledge. And Lord, it can be done. The Bible promises that to us. And Lord, I pray that your, your Christians would be helped today, Lord. Your children, myself, would we'd be helped today. Lord, may it be stand in the power of the word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit this, this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look at, this, look at these attitudes, if we could. We'll start with that. Number one, these attitudes in, in verse number 14. He said this, you have said, it is vain to serve God. The idea of the word vain is empty. It's empty. It is, uh, it is as if you have a glass with nothing in it. Uh, I remember when I was younger, they would often try to define the difference between pessimism and optimism by seeing the glass half full or seeing the glass half empty. Well, this idea of vain is just completely empty, all right? There's not a drop of water in that cup. It is, for, for another word that I'll put here, it is the attitude of purposelessness, okay? That's a long word. The attitude of purposelessness. Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you've been, maybe you've been serving the Lord. You've been actively walking with the Lord. Uh, you've been saved maybe for a little while or a long while, and, and you're following the Lord, and there's at some point in your mind where you may come to the place where you say, it is vain to serve the Lord. What really am I doing? What true good is happening as a result of my serving the Lord, of my walking with the Lord? It feels so empty, I feel like I'm not accomplishing anything. I feel like there is just no purpose to what I am doing. Oh, all Christians have a temptation toward that. Uh, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The the songwriter wrote, there is this tendency to just say, let me be, be done with it all. In fact, the, uh, the, the, the uh, prophet here is proclaiming against these people and he says, ye have said it is vain to serve God. They had already come to the place where they had said, there is no purpose in serving the Savior. There is no purpose in serving God. It is completely empty. You know, there are things in this world that truly are very empty. 
There are a lot of places that you can go, a lot of of things that you can do that may bring temporary fulfillment, but will never bring the fulfillment that God offers. You know, uh, uh, thinking of just kind of uh, very specifically some of those things uh, that we can achieve and that we can try to go after. The book of Ecclesiastes is full of that. In fact, it uses that word vanity over and over and over and over to teach us that the only fulfillment, true fulfillment we can find is in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. The, uh, the apostle Paul is explaining about the resurrection. And he just begins to explain why the resurrection matters. Why the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is so important. And he just goes and goes and goes for 57 verses. He talks about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we celebrate April 17th, I believe it was. We celebrated Easter and we celebrate the resurrection. But every Sunday is a principal uh, celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For, for if it was not for that, we would not even meet today anyway. But he explains all the importance of the resurrection. And then in the last verse of the chapter, he says this. Listen to this. He says, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you got to find out what it's there for, okay? And so it was the resurrection. That was the principle of it. He says this, listen to this very closely. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And church, can I remind you that any service that you have for the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. I'm a, I'm a Christian school, or I'm a Christian, princi- Christian school principal. I taught for six years, as I mentioned. Christian education is somewhat difficult because you often don't see the long-term results immediately. And you often just have to sit and wait and hope that in the end that they come back and say, hey, thank you. But you know what? It's not for the applause of men or for the thankfulness of men. It's for my Savior. And see, when you have that approach and you look at, at what you're doing, it's, it's not for men. It's, it's, uh, we're ministering to men, but it's not primarily for men. It's primarily for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even if I don't see the immediate, I know that I please my Savior, and that's what makes it profitable. That's what makes it not in vain. So can I encourage you, whether it's ministry, whether it's witnessing, uh, whether it's simply your occupation that you're going to go to work tomorrow, remember, the work that you do in the Lord is never in vain. It's always purposeful. But there was a spirit of purposelessness here. I also think if you look at it, it says it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it? Oh, isn't this the, this is the spirit of selfishness. Isn't it so true? We see a spirit of selfishness all around us. Oh, parents, you, you didn't. You did not have to wait long till you saw the spirit of selfishness in your kiddos or in yourself, I guess. Uh, but, but you didn't have to. Uh, the sin nature is very apparent. I don't know whoever said that, uh, that children are naturally good, obviously did not have children. That is for certain. Um, the children, I, I mean, that, one of the first things they learn how to do is be selfish, right? They, uh, goodness, they want, all, they want mama all the time. I mean, they don't even care about mama. They just care about themselves, right? Uh, and, uh, and especially and, and even as they get older, you don't have to train them to do wrong. You got to train them to do right. That's why it tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. It doesn't say train up a child in the way he should not go because he already knows that way. It's natural. But um, so we're, we're naturally selfish people. And without parents to curb that selfishness, they grow up to be selfish adults. And, and that's our culture today. We, we call it entitlement. 
It's just this idea that I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Well, no, you and I deserve a place in hell. That's what we deserve. Uh, That's what sinful nature is. That's what it leads to. It leads to hell. It is God's mercy that steps in and says no. (laughs) It's God's mercy that says, I'm providing you the opportunity through your son, Jesus Christ. But there's, in here there was this, what profiteth it me? What profiteth me? We were, uh, was talking with Pastor Rogers yesterday and he was just, and, and somebody else even this morning was just referencing how quickly life goes, how quickly uh, life transpires and just how fast everything goes. And I was thinking about the song that was being sung that one day I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and then I'll really truly be asking, what, what did I profit? Hey, you see, the, 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 the spirit here was, Why am I working for the Lord? Why am I serving the Lord? Who cares? What profit is it bringing me? And if we're not careful, church, we'll have that tendency in our own service to the Lord. If we're not careful, we'll bring that into our homes. If we're not careful, we'll bring that cultural ideology in our homes that says, okay, well, church isn't that important because what profit does it really bring to me? Or or what, what profit can I visibly see right now that it brings? Oh, and we've got to be so careful because profit is not defined by man's terms. Profit is defined by God's terms as a Christian. And God says, church is profitable. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. God says, your pastor, he is profitable to you. Uh, This fellowship, this ice cream tonight, it is profitable to you, okay? Amen. This This is profitable what we do this morning and this evening. The world would say, what profit does it really bring us? We as Christians would say, oh, it's profitable. We're going to do it. We were in Sunday school this morning and, and uh, we're reminded about the importance of, of spending every single day, every single morning with the Lord. What profit that brings us to be able to take on the wicked one. Oh, to dig deep in the word of God. There was an attitude of purposelessness. There was an attitude of selfishness. Oh, there was even an attitude of carelessness. You could probably call this laziness. Is that in our culture today? I, was, uh, I had an interview with a prospective parent, and uh, he is um, he is an older fella. He was, well, I shouldn't, now I can't tell you his age because I said he was old, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, but uh, but he, uh, he was an older fella, and he told me, he said, and he had a, he had a fifth grade son, and, and uh, he told me, he said, yeah, when I was, when I was growing up, we just worked. We went to school and we came home and we worked. And then we went back to school and we came home and we worked. And he said, sometimes dad would tell me, you ain't going to school, you're working. And he would just work, 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 work all the time. And, uh, and he said, yeah, this kid here, I'm like, you're the dad. But anyway, this kid here, he doesn't, know, he doesn't even know what work is. He's just lazy. <laughs> That's what he said about his own kid, I said. Well, I've got some biblical comments for that, but we'll wait on those a little bit. But anyway, he just said he's lazy. He's growing up in a different generation than I was, and we're seeing that today. The idea of people that just don't care. Uh, they, they have, goodness, you were, you were mentioning just a few moments ago about, about standing up and, and speaking out and, and standing up for our beliefs, and, and there are people that just don't care anymore. Here's where they were. They said, I, uh, what, what, what profit does it bring us? Why, why do we even want to continue to serve the Lord? Let's just stay home. And church, if we're not careful, we can get there. That can mole up inside of us. 
And it can, it can grow and grow and grow until we're out of church completely, until we're not even ministering to people, uh, until we care more about money that we're bringing in than we do about uh, people that we're, we're seeing saved. Uh, we, we'll put priorities above God, and if we're not careful, that's what it will lead to. There, these were the, the, the attitudes that we see here. Well, what were the actions that led to that? Well, let's go over. We'll go through these quickly. Look at uh, uh, chapter one, verse number two. He says here, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? The first action was this. It was a doubt of God's love. A doubt of God's love. Hey, flip over to 1 John. We often go to John 3.16, and we could, but go to 1 John 3.16. It's a great verse too. Uh, 1 John chapter number three. Underline this in your Bible if you have not. This is a good one. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 16. John says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know how we know God loved us? Because he sent his son to die for us. You know what? If you are a saved Christian, you should never doubt the love of God. Ever. Ever ever doubt the love of God. We were learned in Sunday school this morning, God's love is so immense that he can love both the saved and the unsaved. And you know what? Just the love, the goodness of God bringeth man to repentance. And the love that God showed you and continues to show you is the same love we are to, de- to demonstrate to a lost world that needs Christ. Don't ever doubt the, they, they doubted God's love. God said, I have loved thee. In fact, he'll go on to compare them with Edom, which he he practically forsook, and he still allowed them to come back, and he says, hey, I have loved you, but ye have said, you ever said that in your heart? God, do you you really love me? Hey, let let me encourage you, if you're doubting God's love at all today, no matter what you've done, God loves you. Maybe, you've, maybe you don't have a personal walk with the Lord. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. Maybe this idea of, of having a, a God who, who is a father, maybe that, that verbiage doesn't make sense to you. But can I tell you this, that God sent his son to die for you because that sin nature I was just speaking about, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of that sin is death. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Did you know that because of that sin and that sin nature, you and I were bound for hell? But God, before the foundation of the world, had said this, Jesus, and Jesus had said, not my will, but thine. And Jesus Christ came down and took the punishment that you and I deserved in hell so that you and I wouldn't have to face that. And all God's, God looks at us and says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, the people here doubted the love of God, but can I tell you, the love of God is always present. Romans chapter eight, verses 35 through 38. There is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. I'd invite you here today, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself, Not mama did it, daddy did it, grandpa did it, grandma did it, but you've never made that personal decision for yourself that today is the day of salvation for you. They doubted God's love. This would eventually lead to that attitude. It wasn't just a doubt of God's love. Uh, Look at uh, 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 chapter one, verse number six. There was an irreverence towards God. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? 
He'll talk about in verse number seven, you polluted the bread and now offer it unto me. In verse number eight, he'll say this, would you offer that now unto the governor? Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? It's interesting, the the reference he makes is, you wouldn't give this unto a, a man, why would you offer it unto God? And there's an irreverence, and that, by the way, is in our culture as well. Speaking to somebody this weekend, I believe it was, who, who mentioned to me that um, I believe that uh, a, young, a young girl had asked, um, why did the Bible name somebody after a curse word, speaking of Jesus? That was the ignorance level to which she had of the word of God. There is an irreverence in our world to the holy name of God. We see it everywhere. Turn on the television, watch a commercial, watch a Facebook advertisement, read an article sometimes, read a book. We found a, well, we didn't, but our uh, pastor friend there in in Columbus, Georgia, that's on staff there where we're at, uh, they were in the North Columbus Library and, and found a book that was just sinful in the kids section, just a bad book but there's just an irreverence to things that are holy in our culture today. And God said, when you bring a sacrifice to me, you bring yourself to me. I want want it pure. I I want you to bring something to me. I want you to be reverent toward me. But the people here had an irreverence toward God. These sacrifices were an insult to God. Parents, let let me encourage you here. Be careful what you're allowing in your household. Let us not provoke our children to wrath by inviting the filth of the world into our homes during the week and then shunning it on Saturday night or on Sunday because it's church. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. We need to help our children learn this, not demonstrate the inconsistency of the world. Uh, They departed from the truth of God's word. This was the Levites, chapter two, verses one through eight. Oh, let me encourage you today. One of the greatest things that you can do for yourself and for your family is to dig deep in the word of God, is to get yourself grounded in the word of God, is to increase the exposure to the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Don't ever think you're getting too much of God's word. It's impossible to do that. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is the word of God that is, the, that is the, the lens by which we see the world. It is the word of God is the lens by which we, we make decisions for our household. Goodness, uh, uh, the education system, as you just mentioned a few moments ago, uh, you're not gonna get absolute truth there. The only absolute truth you're gonna get is that there are no absolutes, which is confusing in and of itself. This is where you find absolutes. This is where you find the, uh, the, the, the lessons that you need for your life, the guidance and the direction for your life. Don't forsake the word of God. There was a departing from God's truth. I find this, look at um, verse uh, six. The law of truth in chapter two, the law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. Watch this. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but ye are departed out of the way. I'll tell you this, church, you, if, you, if you get out of the word of God, you'll be at the place where you're saying this is vain. It's not profitable. It will happen. If you forsake the word of God, you'll get to the place 
Well, this will be on the shelf. Eh, church. You forsake the word of God. Well, that's not that big of a sin. Yeah, that's because you're, you're measuring it by man's mind, not by the word of God. Don't forsake the word of God. Do everything you can to increase the intake of the word of God. There was a departing from God's truth. Verses 11 through 17, there was a lack of separation. Goodness, we could spend so much time on separation from the world. You are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Chapter three, our favorite chapter. (laughs) There was a robbing of God. Goodness, look at verse number eight. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? And can I, I'm just not, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but can I encourage you of this? Giving to God is non-negotiable. That should be the first decision in your finances, is giving. My wife and I, the first thing that we do when we get paid is our tithe check, and yes, we still write a check, okay? It is a tithe check, and it is our faith promise commitment. That's the first thing. And you know what? God has always provided for us. That's God's way of, that's his economy. Look at at what he says. Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now, test me now. Start today. Give to God today. Prove me now. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Look at this, I love this. And I will rebuke the devourer. Your washing machine will last longer. What? Really? Your shoes will have some extra steps. The shoes of the Israelites, how long did those last? Your money will go farther. And that's not me, that's God. My former pastor used to say, you can never outgive God. Go ahead and try. (laughs) Just go ahead and try. Hey, listen, ultimately that comes down to this, obedience and trust. Trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. You know what will stop if you get out of the word of God too? Giving. Because you're you're gonna get scared. Listen, I saw your gas prices here. I'd be scared too. Our, our, our governor suspended our, uh, our, the, the state tax on gas, which is really nice. He extended it till July 15th. It's uh, re-election year, so he's doing a good job. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so, but, so he suspended that. So ours look, well, okay, they're horrible, but they look better, okay, comparatively to over here. But I, I've seen your prices. I, I've seen stuff and how much. Uh, but you know what's funny? You know what's funny? I'm just going to give it. We went to, we stopped at the store last night. Um, I, I, I have a fancy for this new almond that I have eaten. It's called habanero barbecue, okay? It's a type of almond. Very good, amen, amen. We're best friends now, okay, amen. Um, but I absolutely love, I love that. I've just, just introduced to it two days ago and now I'm addicted. I mean, it's bad. Um, and, uh, but almonds are expensive. Almonds are expensive, um, especially in California. Okay, no, I'm just, but we, were, we, we stopped at a store last night. There was five minutes left for the store to be open, and we stopped in there to grab some, some things, and sure enough, my favorite almond, a pound of it, a pound, $3.99. Normally $9.99. I don't normally share very, very personal stories with that, but that's not accidental. 
That's not accidental. God knew we'd be in that store. God knew I like them. God knew I wanted some of them. So we stocked up. And I'll be heading back to Columbus, Georgia with California almonds. I'm very excited about that. At $3.99 a pound. You know why God provided that? Because last week at Grace Baptist Church, we put in the offering plate a tithe check and a faith promise check. That's why. God takes care of his children. Trust and obey. But they came away and they were literally robbing God of what was God's. And what did that all end up in? That all ended up in, this is vain. What profit is it really bringing me? And if we're not careful, we'll be right there too. Finally, the answer, and I'm done. Verse number uh, seven. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Watch this. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Aren't you glad that God always offers restoration? I'm so thankful that I'm not in it on my own. I'm thankful that God knows I'm human, and I'm thankful that he knows I'm made of dust, and I'm thankful that he says, that if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised that. And God says, if you're away, if you're in any of the actions or the attitudes that we've discussed so far, return unto me. Hit this altar today and just repent. Just say, Lord, I've been selfish. Lord, I've had an attitude of purposelessness. Lord, I've had an attitude that just denies you. Lord, I repent, return unto God. Not only return unto God, number, number two, realize who God is. Verse 14 tells us he's the great king. Verse 10 of chapter two tells us he's the creator. Verse six, chapter three calls him Lord. That same verse, it calls him unchanging. The same God that parted the Red Sea is the same God that I serve today. Don't forget that, church, because the battle looks unwinnable. I sit there at Grace Christian School, and we'll probably have close to 200 students there, but there are 4,000 students in three public schools around us. That's 4,000 students in public schools versus 200 in a Christian school. It looks unwinnable but we trust God and press on. Realize who God is. And finally, one thing that I won't get to mature this morning, but that's okay. I want you to remember this. Remember the Lord is coming again. Verses one through six, all of chapter four really references the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. When uh, in 2018, I was ordained um, I had some of the most, some of the preachers that I have that have influenced me in my life more than any. It was a very, very sweet moment, and I, I was excited. They all signed a Bible um, that Pastor had provided, and, and it's in my office right now. And inside of there, one of the one of the preachers, probably the, the one that has had the most dramatic influence on my life, he wrote this. He said, Keep a sharp sword, a bent knee, and an eye on the sky. I've never forgotten that. Church, if I, can, if I can just encourage you on anything, don't forsake the word of God. Amen. Commit and maintain the word of God daily. 
Spend time in prayer. And then keep watching for him to come because he's on his way. (laughs) He's coming. He's coming. And I want to remind you, even though he's not here, he's not here yet. So that means there's still time for us to work. Every day he doesn't come back is the mercy of God. Every day it doesn't come back as an opportunity for a sinner to be saved. Let us not be caught doing nothing about it. Let's be busy about serving Christ and sharing the gospel.